projected amount as opposed to actual. So there we're scrambling trying to figure out how to really get, you know, things in line in order to be um, uh, in order to be uh, uh, in line for some of that tax dollars to go to these communities. Um, and as a result, uh, we weren't um, notified ahead of time of this decision. By the time we actually got that information, they had made a temporary budget that said that about 2.6 million of those dollars of that three per three million projected was going to go to a police program that's really focused more around methamphetamine treatment, uh, that's focused on um, uh, opioid addiction, not any cannabis addiction. Also, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, Jesse. We're going to have to leave it there. And I, I want to thank you so much for giving us all that context on the local issue. Um, and thank you very much for, for joining us today. And we'll post more information about, about that debate on our website with this podcast. Thank you so much, um, Jesse. I've been speaking with uh, Jesse Horton, the chairman of the Minority Business Cannabis Association. Jesse, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. And that wraps up our show today. Uh, you've been listening to the Five Quadrants of Portland on X-Ray FM. Thank you very much to all my guests and to my engineer, Jimmy Tardy. Stay tuned to X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. I found myself with my head outside of the womb of my mother. Being His eyes went from almost jet black to like pure blue during the process. You know, when the heart breaks... There's an opening. There's a great opening into a big, big space. It was maybe the first moment of clarity and honesty and the first real connection I'd ever had to the universe. We are all inherent, pure enlightened consciousness and wisdom and compassion. We just are in different stages of unveiling. So that's what keeps us alive. We put our energies out there and we get blessed back. The Mirror Cave. The Mirror Cave, episode 19. Nothing stays the same. Iyengar yoga teacher Paul Cheek talks about teaching yoga in prison, getting run over by a truck a month after retiring to his geodesic dream house, his struggles with the resulting brain injury, and the events that brought him to yoga in the first place. And so I do these complex um, movements with my body, not like dance moves or something, but like, you know, well, people say it's like patting your or rubbing your head and patting your stomach at the same time, things like that. And then uh, complex um, eye movements. And I look at a little uh, like a, I, like a tablet or a computer screen and I have all these different exercises that I do. These things sometimes in the short term can stir me up quite a bit and they create fatigue, but in the long term my cognition becomes better, my critical thinking becomes better, and my ability to see becomes better. So I'm holding the screen up in front of me and there's like a white bar and a black bar and they're moving from bottom to top. And then I look turn my head to the right and then quickly look back to the towards where the the computer screen is or whatever and watch these bars and count them or i'll i'll have the bars there like that and i'll throw my head back quickly and turn the thing completely upside down so that they start to go in the other direction and same thing with like dots so i'll have a dot in the bottom corner of a monitor and it goes up and i'm following it and then it shoots back to the bottom side and then i follow it retrains the brain recreates the neural pathways or encourages other neural pathways to help pick up some of the things that are uh, 
that might have been um, dislodged, you know, I and mean, then all the 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 uh, film of my brain, there's like nothing physically wrong, you know, they can't see anything. But you know, I mean, there's a, well, my, the guy who I work with, the function neurologist, he says it's Parkinson isms. So Parkinson isms are uh, Parkinson's like uh, symptoms not related to Parkinson's. So related to like head injuries or stuff like what happened to me. Well, there's a group uh, or an organization called Living Yoga in Portland that was started maybe 20 years ago or more to help provide classes in prisons. And I've known about it for years and always said when I retire, I was going to start to teach for Living Yoga. And it turned out that I started to teach beforehand because I'm an overachiever, right? So I teach this class twice a month, sometimes three times a month at a men's minimum security prison in Northeast Portland. And this is one of the most, um, I mean, I love teaching all the classes, right? And all the students. But having these just be a class of men, and especially in that environment, because they're hungry to—they're um, hungry for the teachings. You know, when I ask my some of the students sometimes in my regular public classes about the philosophy, I don't get a lot of discussion going on at the prison. I get all kinds of discussion, just and it's amazing, and the depth that goes on there, and like I said, the interest these guys have in the philosophy is really fun. It's really fun because the exchange of energy in that class is uh, like nothing else that I have ever experienced in teaching. And if I gave up everything in life, I'd keep that. Because it's just, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's a, a really good opportunity for me to give back a little bit, which, I mean, that's what yoga is about. That's what a lot of the West misses about yoga is that it's, you know, it's about moving from a selfish state to a selfless state. It's not about getting a yoga butt or anything like that or doing, listening to music, you know, whatever, set list, you know. So Wednesday, I was just there on Wednesday. So I have a new student comes in. He's got it walking in with a cane. I'm like, all right, I got to talk to that dude, right? And then I have a dude who has the 18 gunshot wounds, right? And another guy who's got a shark. He was bitten by a shark and like had this like thing in his leg, you know? And then I have like another guy who's uh, from a Southeast Asian country, comes from a Buddhist background. He's like the philosophy understands. He's like my mom, my sister, my grandma, you know? And he's very, uh, he's a... Um, you know, physically can do all the poses, you know? So I got the wide range physically, right? And a wide range of people that are just kind of intellectually. And um, I mean, it's just like such a wide swath of like, like I look out there sometimes like, and this is my own little judgment thing. Well, I can see why that dude's here, you know, because I mean, come on, you know, and that I don't know why this guy was ever be in here, you know? So we, and the men in the prison, and when we talk about the philosophy of yoga, we talk a lot about uh, the basic uh, idea that yoga is about stilling the mind. And then we talk about, uh, has the mind ever led you down the wrong path? You know, and we all just crack up because like, yeah, this morning, you know, when I had that weird thought or whatever. So they get that they can, um, through these practices that they can learn how to recognize when something's coming up, that's not going to be good for them or the people around them. And have a break there you know just a breath where they can decide either to not punch somebody or whatever right and then and they totally get that and this is what most of them are working on in there because trust me none of those people in there want to go back in that place you know it's uh i always had these ideas of like what prison is like right but to get your final card to get in there you have to go do a tour you know when i did the tour i was blown away because it's like open up this room it's about you know maybe uh 50 yards by 50 yards and it's just a bunch of bunks three high skinny little bed 
and then like some sergeant or whatever sitting up in this pedestal thing and that's where the, all these guys and there's like four of these units there and they're all in this one big place and i'm like damn look at that but you know there isn't there's not a drama free place though i'll tell you that much because uh stuff goes down there like one time i was in there and the sarge walks in he points to me and he says get in the corner he took everybody else in the class and says all of you back to your units right and then he left and i'm standing there for half an hour in the corner and what the hell is going on here right you know scared and i come then they eventually come back and said you can go now i'm like what's up it's like there was a screwdriver missing from one of the work person's like tool bills. I'm like, damn. Oh, I thought it was going to be something a little bit more spectacular, you know? This was, uh, so high school started in like, uh, whatever, um, September. And by the time December came around of that year, I'd gone to, to Jesuit High School. I went to Madison High School in Northeast Portland. And then I went to Boys Town. So Boys Town is in Nebraska. And you this is a place where orphans go to that might have been involved in some kind of Catholic thing somewhere in the country or bad Catholic kids. <laughs> so you could know which one I was, right? But I lasted there a month. I ran away after two weeks. I slept in a Thunderbird, an old 60-something Thunderbird in a cornfield. It was in like in the middle of winter, and this friend of mine would bring me uh, food and weed, and and uh, out in the middle of this cornfield. And eventually, I went back, and I came back to Portland. But I came back to uh, Portland, you know, and my first time I'd ever had sex with another person. My girlfriend got pregnant, and that was like, wow, really? You know, so okay, now what? You know, and it was that was a weird, wild ride. So I had just turned sixteen. I was just a month, you know, past my sixteenth birthday when my son was born. And uh, then we lived together for three and a half years, four years, raising a baby. So that was my high school. I still hung around with all my friends, but they were going to prom. I was changing diapers. Kind of a different gig. <laughs> totally different gig, right? Yeah, so we worked. I worked painting houses for a while, and I worked at a plumbing and supply and electrical place in the warehouse. She worked there, too. But, you know, that really, our relationship, we were so young. People are like, you married? I'm like, no, God, dude. I just had sex once, and now look what's happening, you know? I mean, we're not married. And we, she decided one day that she wanted something else out of life, you know? And I'm, I wasn't uh, like, oh, no, we can't break up. I'm like, okay. You know, I just didn't feel like it was my position to, like, block her from doing whatever it was that she wanted to do. That was when she was around, uh, or Ryan was around four. And it was that point then I was like, okay, so now I'm really on my own here. And if I'm going to do something with this kid, which I felt was my responsibility. So I was like 19. Then I went back to school. So I went to community college for uh, three years, pretty much kind of finished high school. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't know. So you test in, you know, and I tested below. I could have already passed out on some of the things like math, but some of the other uh, vocabulary stuff I wasn't really um, up on. And so I took some classes like, this is a great one, spelling. And people are like, dude, why are you taking a spelling class? And I said, well, because my vocabulary sucks. As I read the newspaper, I got to sit there with a dictionary and look up every other word. It takes me a year to read one little article. So I'm like, you know, I need to like uh, get my chops together with that. So I took a bunch of remedial classes at PCC. That's why it took me three years. And then from there, I went to um, Lewis and Clark College, graduated there. And then I did a year of graduate school in California, in, uh, Claremont, California in a, a community psych program. I was going to save the world through research. 
I got, I realized that um, if I continued down that academic path, I'd never end up back in Portland unless by chance that I was guy could get out. But the real reason I dropped out was because my son. So his mom had become uh, into white drugs, mostly heroin, and was in uh, some trouble. Her sister had called me and said that she'd been in a motorcycle accident with her boyfriend and that they, they couldn't treat him in the hospital right away because they knew something was wrong besides them getting in the accident. So they, and I don't know if this was before Narcon or whatever, but they had to like do something special to work on these two people because they were high on heroin. And then her, uh, Ryan's aunt, my wife, or his mom's sister told me some of the things that were going on and I wasn't too, it was, I had to come back. That was really the reason, but I was happy that I had that too, because I didn't want to stay in the Southland. I mean, my son was six, seven years old, six, seven years old, carrying a gun for his mom and living in a house where there are other, you know, what I call the stab lab, you know, where people buying drugs and shooting it up there. And, uh, so then, you know, I came back to, and, uh, decided that I needed to do what I can to get either custody of Ryan or be with him more and to be a parent more. And I see a lawyer and he's like, so, and I explained to him the situation that I just explained to you. And he's like, dude, you're not going to stand a chance. They're going to have tons of money and they'll be able to fight this. I mean, you know, he's, they got to get arrested or something has to happen. You can't just say, Hey, what's going on? So, you know, obviously give me the kids. So then um, I started a little uh, propaganda campaign against Ryan's mom, unfortunately, and her boyfriend. I had a little script that I wrote up and I gave it to my friends and everyone called the cops and said, here's the place over here. They're selling drugs. They're letting people shoot up over there. There's a kid involved. And it took about eight months before they got arrested. And while they were in prison, my lawyer went before a judge and the judge said, where's the mom? And the mom's in prison for heroin and drugs and guns and whatever. And they said, okay, full custody to the dad. And so Ryan was about eight at that point, maybe eight and a half. And he was not happy because he went from an environment where he got everything fancy shoes, all that stuff, right? He came to me and I'm like, I'm like, dude, N-O means no, you know? And like, here's what he was like. Uh, and a friend of mine reminded me this the other day is that Ryan one day, he's like, I'm going to sue you, man. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. And he's freaking out. I mean, he slams the door in his room and goes in the room and I'm sitting out there going, man, we got food on the table and he wants like $200 Jordans. That's what he was going to sue me about because I wasn't going to buy it for him, you know? And I was struggling just to try to put some food on the table for this kid. I'm like, geez, man, what have I gotten into? So then it was like two kids living together. That was trippy. This is the time that I found yoga because I realized that in my interactions with my son, I was the adult, reluctantly <laughs> at some point, but I was the adult and if things escalated, it was my responsibility. You know, and so I would come home and from work or whatever, and we would fight, and and so I re I said I got to find figure out a way to like relax, to quiet things down, so that I can not let things escalate. You know, and, and uh, I found out years later that the goal of yoga, I mean, if you look at the Yoga Sutras, is to still the fluctuations of the mind, right? And so I'm like, wow, I came to yoga kind of for that reason in a certain sense, but really it was just to learn to chill out. And so a woman that I worked with at the Center for Health Research, she was teaching a free class at the center, and I started to take it. And that was a definite turning point for me. Wow, well, 
the, the thing was at that point I was taking classes only. So, you know, I wasn't practicing at home. And so, um, you know, it was just more kind of the immediate effect of the, uh, well, here's two things. First, I came to yoga also because I'm a jock and I was athletic, right? So I could also, I could do the poses that required strength, but I couldn't do the poses that required flexibility or uh, sometimes even stamina. And so I was stiff, but I was strong, right? So I liked the challenge then of the poses physically. I really, I dug that. But then I was starting to um, also like, and this is, you know, kind of goes against the yoga philosophy as I know it now, like, you know, I really dug the uh, feeling I got out of yoga. So I did it to feel good, you know? And so I was, it just, it was simple as that in those first few years, just to feel good, right? And to then also to try to have a better relationship with my son. And, uh, you know, that worked okay. And I, you know, the things though that I came to yoga for in that very first few years, my being hyper and all of that and having anger issues, I still have them today, you know? So yoga, yoga does not fix you, you know, but it created for me a framework that I could work on these things. Cause I, you know, I think I said earlier, some people are born pretty chill. I'm not one of those people. I was born, you know, with a fi- as a fireball ready to like shake things up a little bit and so in order for me to be effective and a good member of our community i have to learn how to tone things down a little bit the thing about yoga for me that i feel blessed one of the things i bless is that my first teacher was came from the anger tradition so i didn't really know anything different and it took me a long time before i even took any classes outside of anger yoga like 20 years before i took what was called a vinyasana or, or kind of a flow class and so uh and I feel like in Iyengar Yoga, I've been uh, teaching for 17 years, practicing for 27. I barely scratched the surface. It's um, the philosophy is interwoven into the teaching of asana and of pranayama and of meditation and of uh, the whole eight limbs of yoga. So it's not just a physical practice. You know, there's a famous teacher. I don't think she's Iyengar Yoga teacher, but she says if you just teach asana, that's just sports. You know, but if you add, if you teach asana and philosophy, that's yoga. Right, you know, and Mr. Anger was about, you know, it's not about how well you do the pose or anything about doing the poses, it's about how you live your life. Oh, dude, you have to be careful what you ask for in life or what you dream about or what you think you can do. Because uh, I was, uh, had a girlfriend and she, Anyway, that's another story, but uh, she brought some property out in the woods, right? And then we ended up um, splitting up, but we'd gone out there with our sons and done some camping for a year. And then and when she was uh, moving out or sold her property, one of the other uh, owners up there had, had three lots, sold me a lot up there. And then, so here I am, like 31 years old. I'd never owned anything in my life. I'd only just recently started driving because I'd grown up in the city. So I'm sitting up there and going, God, now what am I going to do? You know, so I had this property and then I just started to brainstorm about what I would want to build, how I want to live. And I'm just a hippie. I've, I admit it. I'm happily. So I decided to uh, build a geodesic dome because it took uh, less material to cover the same amount of square footage. I like circles, you know, the circle of life and whatever, bird's nests and teepees and things like that. You know that I knew enough to think I can do this, but man, once I started getting into it, it's complex, and the decisions you have to make and the money you have to spend is just huge. So I, you know, I moved out there. I lived in a tent, off and on for five years. I lived in a trailer, tent trailer, and sometimes in the house a little bit. It took me five years to build that house, 
and it just about was the end of me because it was so uh, it was hard to get financing. Nobody wants to you know loan money to a guy who was working in moccasins and uh and is building a dome you know a hippie dome they were just like dude um we build box houses in suburbia with lawns you know yeah it's in the temperate rainforest on the west side of the cascades in southern washington and uh, there's big there was um it had been logged a few times but it was kind of hilly property one part's a little not flat but you could build in that part and then it's steep down to a creek big huge trees down there um cedars hemlocks alders firs and, uh, you know, it's just the, uh, it's a magical kind of place because it rains so much and everything's so green. It's just the dirt, you know, the smell of dirt. <laughs> I know it's been, whatever. I mean, anybody's been out in the woods and you just kind of take a whiff, you know, that was what uh, I could come home to every night. And the challenge is once you finally have something out there is to actually enjoy it, you know, and to not keep thinking you have to build new things and, and I'm get to a point where I just want to sit out there a lot more now and just kind of smell that dirt and not think, Oh, I got to go clean that gutter or whatever these things are. That's still part of my yoga is to slow down. I mean, you know, I, when I retired from uh, Kaiser from the center of health research, this was my slow down period. And then I had other events that kind of reminded me that I needed to slow down. I was 52. So Kaiser at the time had this deal where if your years of service plus your age was 70 or 70, whatever, something, you could retire with full benefits and get your pension. So I was like, yes, now I get to slow down. I can chill on my property more, spend more time building community, hang with my family, focus on my yoga practice and teaching. And so I'm all committed to slowing down. And then a month after that, I was in a crosswalk and I was hit by a a truck a, a, kind of a big truck not like a semi but not a small pickup but a big one I was in the crosswalk walking across and I was uh, I'd looked down about 250 feet down this truck had turned the corner and I was walking across I stepped across the street at that point and then by the t- when I got to the middle of the, of the road I, st- I looked left which was the opposite of the way the truck was coming and I looked back towards where this truck was and the dude was right on me and I was looking him right in the face and, and looking in the the window of the front of the truck, not from the side, the front. And he was looking out the passenger side window. So this dude was not going to stop. I jumped. And while I was in the air, the mirror of the truck hit my head on the right side. And it ripped the mirror right off the truck. And then my left shoulder and head then hit the ground and knocked me out. So there I was bloody on the street there in downtown Camas. Like, wow, this is brilliant. Oh, dude. So, you know, the uh, it took me a while to kind of get over the shock of everything because, uh, you know, for one, I wasn't dead, right? But I went to the hospital. They only kept me like a day or whatever, not even overnight. And uh, it was a couple months later that I started to have uh, headaches. I started to have a lot of weird cognitive problems. You know, I'm still, uh, whatever, I've still, it's been three and a half years. I'm still struggling with a lot of the brain injury things, but, you know, I'm not dead. And uh, so I still have work left to do. And so I'm just trying to navigate that whole path of kind of recovery and of surrendering to the brain thing and uh, making, uh, still trying to stick to the slowing down thing. I had a lot of problems with memory, which I still do, uh, kind of coming up with the words that I know that are right there or even like a person's name. 
And then um, it's caused a lot of physical problems. So I have a lot of stamina problems from headaches. Well, headaches, mostly the headaches. And then I have still a lot of problems on the left side of my body from my shoulder up to my head. But it's mostly headaches. But it's a vicious cycle because the headaches make me tired. And then I don't exercise as much. And then I have the pain from the shoulder. I mean, it just kind of keeps me down. And this is not the way that I had envisioned slowing down. You know, I wanted to do that on my own terms, you know, like I'd done everything in life. So everyone's like, oh, you must be so great that you had your yoga. You know, yoga was, was so good, you know. And it may be true that I was able to jump and, and it might have helped me in my recovery, but I haven't, my yoga practice has not been, uh, I haven't like gone to my practice as much as I thought I would have, you know, or I would even as much as I would recommend someone else. You know, so everyone thinks, oh, your meditation must be so great. But I, it's hard to meditate. It's hard for me to sit with not be in pain and to have your head just like pounding. It's like meditation doesn't work. And then practicing asana and pranayama, you know. So I have these practices and I don't draw on them as much as I would want have wanted to. And uh, I don't know. I feel like, so then I feel like, uh, well, as a friend of mine, Star, used to say, we're yoga frauds. You know, so sometimes people think yoga teachers are all chill and kick back and they got their act together and they're like, you know, going to disappear into light. I mean, and they have no idea. I mean, go meet some of these teachers, you know, type A maniacs, you know, like me. I mean, just so the, my, my yoga practice hasn't saved me. So I'm going to struggle with that right now. I've done lots of therapies, talk therapy, drug therapy, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, drugs, uh, physical therapy, lots of uh, Botox injections from my head for the headaches all the prescription drugs are just detrimental for me the side effects are i mean you look at the list of side effects i don't see why anyone would ever take any of these things if any one of those side effects happens so it's uh i tried them though because i get desperate like i'm at a point right now where i'm a little bit desperate with some of my pain but i've t- tried everything already by now and so i'm trying to learn how to just to live with it more than uh um, take something for it but not just but i'm still searching for things so about a year and a half after the initial brain injury i was rear-ended and and uh, got my car was totaled and injured again but it was minor compared to what i had going on with the brain it was just it was only a slow it was uh the speed wasn't too high i got sandwiched between two cars my back hurt for a while but i don't feel like it really impacted me that much that wasn't really and much of a problem but you know i have these peaks and valleys and getting feeling like i'm doing a little bit better and then i kind of plateau out and then plummet down and all that up and down has been hard in my whole system so i was at one of the peaks uh, not that long ago about uh, four months ago five months ago and uh, i was uh, going down an icy road it was uh, black ice and i hit some black ice i spun out on my truck started to head towards this cliff that's about 50 feet down towards the into the Washougal River and I tried to correct there and spun around and went right into a cliff and uh, it just happened in an instant I swear it was like two seconds and so I'm holding on to the steering wheel smashed into this cliff and then a second later I'm like oh my god I'm dying and I had but I felt like I hadn't even moved and what had happened and I thought well how's my chest so feel like it's just like it felt like my whole chest would just completely collapse in I thought did I hit the steering wheel I'm like, no, I didn't sit the steering wheel. I held the wheel tight the whole time, right? And pushed back and had my head back on the on the uh, headrest, right? But I was just like losing my breath. I thought I was dying right then and there. So it turns out that the seat belt had held me in place so tightly and that the, the pressure of hitting the cliff broke my sternum. 
And that's the most painful thing I've ever been through. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So there's like, oh, I'm already slowing down. You know, why do I need this? I mean, what else do I need? Just a, you know, sledgehammer to the head. So that was a little bit of a setback because I break, you know, I couldn't move for a month and whatever. It was uh, the sternum was uh, connected to everything in the body. I had this uh, aversion to any kind of organized anything, whether it was team play, <laughs> coaches, priests, religions especially. I really was, I would just get just agitated if someone would say, God bless you, even if they said it with all the sincerity in the world, you know. And uh, when I started to study the yoga philosophy, there's like the Lord this and God this, the Lord God and all that. And even though in the yoga philosophy it's, it means something different than it does over here, I still had a really hard time with that. And I was just like, you know, just kind of biting my tongue, interested in the other philosophy, but not accepting this one part of it. And then I don't know really when it was when I just started to realize that uh, having an aversion to all of this was much harder on my being and on any kind of growth, spiritual growth or any growth, than it would be just to embrace some of it, you know, to see what it was really all about, you know. Even if I had, uh, if we got down to it, I might have very different opinions from someone who said, I'm going to pray for you or God bless you. But then I tried to, I decided I would be open to that, you know, and try to really learn like, what what would God mean? You know, what would it mean to me? Or what does a spiritual life mean to me? So it's become a mix of like everything I've ever been exposed to from even my Catholicism, like the prayer of St. Francis to me kind of dispels it all out. I mean, it's to me, it's a, uh, it just it covers everything just like they say that the, uh, you know, the Bhagavad Gita covers everything in life. To me, the prayer of St. Francis kind of, reduces that down you know it's, this is one of the things since my brain injury i don't have it memorized anymore but i used this in class this week as part of the uh philosophy introduction to some of the philosophy and this is the line it says lord make me an instrument